This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to the Sleeper Hole Podcast, where there's no disqualification on the topics and falls count anywhere. I am your host, Priest, and we're going to be continuing with our Women in Wrestling series here in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about this past Sunday with Survivor Series and the following Monday Night Raw. Fair warning, this is probably going to end up being a bit of a rant, but I feel like I need to say some things to get off my chest that I'm pretty sure a few of you are also thinking as well. First of all, Survivor Series, okay? It was a pretty so-so, not-too-bad show, but it wasn't great. I was actually looking forward to Survivor Series. I always do for multiple reasons. Usually the reason why I look forward to Survivor Series is because of the Survivor Series tag elimination. Five on five, Team A versus Team B. It always gets hyped up. It always gets built up. It always seems like a great thing. Did we have that this year? No. And I'll get to that in a moment. The other reason why, you know, this Survivor Series I was looking forward to is it was the 25-year anniversary of the dead man. And, you know, great to see that The Undertaker is still going strong for 25 years. He is a legend. He is a legacy. He is definitely the icon, the phenom. So great to see a lot of respect for him on that. But we're going to touch on that again here in just a second third reason why I was looking forward to this Survivor Series was the tournament. So, talking about Survivor Series, first thing we need to talk about is that tournament itself, okay? It was not bad at all. It was really pretty good. I mean, we had the semifinal matches. Roman took down Alberto Del Rio just like I had hoped. Alberto Del Rio really ticked me off. He's a great wrestler, but when he dismasked... uh, dismasked that's not the right word when he unmasked there we go when he unmasked uh Kalisto and almost showed his face well actually he kind of did if you really pay attention to the camera but still that's a huge insult to the mexican wrestling legacy a huge insult to luchadors everywhere you do not unmask a luchador unless it is a specified mask versus mask or some type of match like that where the mask is on the line not cool, Del Rio. Huge disrespect for you right now. So, seeing Roman kick your butt, great match. And besides that fact, if you were just to look at it in an analytical way and unbiased, it was a really good match. Gotta give some props to it. Also, the other semifinal, we had Kevin Owens versus Dean Ambrose, and that was probably one of the matches that could be considered the one to steal the show. And on that note, real quick, before I keep going, that's what everybody should be doing in their matches. I don't care where you are in the card. Make your match the match that tries to steal the show, okay? You do that, you're going to leave the fans happy and the fans impressed. Owens, Ambrose, you did that. That was an incredible match, and I was very happy with that. Again, I'm not a big fan of Kevin Owens. He's growing on me, but I'm still not a big fan because of some of the ways he acts, the way he portrays himself. 
the way he is on the weekly shows where he just powders out and lets things go because he's a prize fighter. It annoys me. But when you get him to actually fight in the ring, when he actually wrestles and shows that he's a good technical wrestler and has great ring awareness, ring strategy, the guy is incredible. And Dean Ambrose, I just love Dean Ambrose. He's unorthodox. He's very much the nut job, the random wild card, just like he's always been. And he brings that entertainment. Plus, he knows how to use the mic to his advantage, and I love that, because you never know what to expect when it comes from Dean Ambrose. So with that, we had a great setup for a great heavyweight championship match to determine the new heavyweight champion. Dean Ambrose versus Roman Reigns. Brothers in arms, going at it, not holding anything back. Something that all the fans have been wanting to see, and see it for all the marbles. Really was looking forward to that. That was great. Now, backtrack a little bit. Before the tournament, we did have a kickoff show, which was a traditional five-on-five Survivor Series match, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't the greatest in the world, but why is that? Because it was just a bunch of people thrown together into a match, and there was no storyline behind it. There was no hype behind it. There was no build for it. That's the thing that I look at, you know, not only as a person who ran a business, but a person as a fan and a person who loves to look at storylines and write those type of things. You have to build the anticipation. If you don't build the anticipation, the fans are going to look at it and go, okay, and you don't want that. I will say this, though. It is so great seeing Goldust back in the ring. I honestly thought that with the loss of his father, he may just make an early retirement for himself because that was a pretty heavy blow, I'm sure, to the entire family. But Goldust, glad to see you back. Hats off to you, man. Now, with that being said, after the two semifinal matches, we had the other Survivor Series 5-on-5 match, which put Ryback with the Usos and the Lucha Dragons against King Barrett, Sheamus, and the New Day. Let me just get this right here real quick about the New Day. You have three men who are very talented, very skilled, very athletic, have a lot of potential. They had a great amount of potential with the idea of putting them together. And then you make them into a running joke. I'm sorry, but that still gets under my skin. I went from being a fan of New Day because I saw so much hope for them and was looking forward to them and rooting for them, to listen to their material and going, okay, even a five-year-old can write better stuff than this. Seriously, I know this is supposed to be a PG show now. It's not supposed to be the Attitude Era or whatever. But when every time you turn around, you're gyrating to a trombone and you're making booty jokes, I could write better material than that. A five-year-old can write better material than that. Let's straighten up the act here, guys, because this is really ridiculous. And you're making yourselves look like you're just a joke, low-card wrestlers who somehow have the tag team titles, but your actions show that you don't deserve it. Seriously, straighten it up. Okay, done with that little semi-rant there. That actually was not too bad of a match. I mean, they really did have a good match going there. I did like seeing it go back and forth. And I did like seeing how it ended. Of course, you know, it's always great seeing the Usos. The Usos are very entertaining. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again about the Lucha Dragons. They have so much potential. They deserve to have a championship shot for those tag titles. Those two are incredible. 
Barrett, you know, I like Barrett. He's kind of annoying to some people. He is a bit of a heel that some people like, some people hate. But he plays it so well. It's great. It fits him well. Seamus, yeah, well, we'll get to that too, because Seamus is Seamus. Here's a good match that I did enjoy. Paige versus Charlotte. This match did not go on as long as I hoped, and it wasn't always full of high spots and great stuff like I hoped, but you got to see a more aggressive side of Charlotte. You also got to see Paige do a lot of things, and you really got to see the whole bear-down, nitty-gritty, brawl type thing that really you expect from those two women when it comes to that title. It was a good match. I enjoyed it. I was happy with it. Not to mention the whole fact that, you know... Page flaunting and taunting over top of the male fans all standing at the guardrail and they're getting speared from the guardrail. That was awesome. Just saying. Tyler Breeze versus Dolph Ziggler. I'm not a fan of Prince Pretty. Okay, Prince Pretty is not one that I could ever be a fan of. I think I just it's it's duck season when I see him. I, he does that little duck face with the selfie stick and all I can think of is Looney Tunes. Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, and Daffy Duck doing the wabbit season, duck season, wabbit season, duck season, duck season, fire type thing. Yeah, I went there. But, you know, I have to give him props. Even though it was not one of the best matches, Tyler Breeze needed that push. He needed that win because that's going to help him build up into the roster. Could they have done a lot more with that match? Yes. Was that match one of the top three? No. I really am disappointed in that one because usually Dolph Ziggler, he brings it. He puts everything out there to have one of the best matches. That one was really not there. And like I said before, make every match, no matter where you are on the card, make it be the match to try to steal the show. That's just how it should be. Next match, though, we had the Brothers of Destruction versus Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper from the Wyatt family. This was a good match. Now, not only was the entrance incredible for The Undertaker, but my original hope and goals was this, was that it was going to build up to become a Survivor Series type match where the Wyatts, all four, were going to go against the Brothers of Destruction plus two mystery people, and God knows I was praying for it to be Sting and Finn Balor. Balor really needs to come into the main roster. Balor is incredible. Enough said there. As for the match, though, it was really kind of cool seeing the Brothers of Destruction just really take things into their own hands. Now, granted, it was somewhat just above a squash match at a few times is what it felt like, but when you're talking about two people who have paved the way, whose respect you must earn, who basically are the ones to establish how things are in the WWE... That's a match that should have been the way it is. Glad to see the Taker win it. Glad to see that his brother Kane was right there by his side. And also, it was just awesome to see a double choke slam right to Braun Strowman through the table. That was awesome. All right. Let's get on with this because I know I'm starting to rant. I know I'm already taking up about oh, a little bit over 10 minutes now. But, you know, this is stuff that I feel needs to be said. Plus, also, for those of you guys who want to hear it, <laughs> you got a bonus. We had Roman Reigns versus Dean Ambrose to finish off the tournament. This one was a good match. I really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed this one almost as much as I... Well, actually, I'd say pretty much right at the same as how much I loved 
the Undertaker's match, or any of the tournament matches for the semifinals. It was that good. It was right on there, just like I hoped. The only thing that made me bummed out is when it came to an end, I looked at my clock, and I saw that, hey, there's 20 minutes left of what normally is the time frame for these pay-per-views. That's when I knew that my prediction was going to come true. What happened? We had Triple H come out to greet and congratulate the winner, Roman Reigns, as the new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Roman, pretty much instead of shaking Triple H's hand, speared him, got attacked from behind, ended up with two bro kicks in the face, and lost the title that exact moment to Sheamus, who cashed in his money in the bank contract. Let me say this, because I know I've said this on Facebook, I've said this to a few of my friends who are wrestling fans, and I'm going to say it right here, and I pray that somehow the WWE is listening in, because this is my thoughts, and I'm sure every time somebody else hears this, whether they come back to this now or they hear it on this podcast right now, they're going to go, hey, that's a good idea. That's what would make us happy. Fans are smart. Fans will see that, hey, 20 minutes left, and they will be able to easily predict what's going to happen. Fans are going to look at that and go, Seamus is going to cash in. He's going to get the contract. And we have a, a screw job, which is just like what Survivor Series is always known for. You, you don't want that, okay? Maybe you do. I don't know. But in my opinion, you don't want that. You don't want fans to be able to predict it because if fans predict it, they get bored. Yes, there's a lot of people who don't want Roman Reigns to have the title. There's a lot of people who don't want Seamus to have the title. I'm one of them. Why? Because I feel like right now Seamus should not be having it. Yes, he's a veteran, but he doesn't deserve it right now in my opinion. But then you have, you know, the whole thing here of, again, predictability. What you guys are doing here, and I'm kind of jumping ahead because I'm going to admit this is going to be about Monday Night Raw as well. You're giving Roman Reigns a storyline with the head of the department, the authority, in what seems like almost a combination of CM Punk's storyline against Triple H and the Daniel Bryan Cinderella story where odds are always against him, but somehow he's going to make it through and become the man. So it's really kind of annoying that you're doing a mismatch of things that they've worked before, but it's nothing new. But wait, Priest, you said that they were being too predictable. How is it that you can keep saying that, but you don't have any alternatives of how they could make it not predictable? Well, I actually do have a suggestion. See, the thing about that predictability is I could write better than that. I have written better than that. Like I said before, I owned a company. I was in charge of story. I could make better material than I have because I make the fans keep guessing. It's what gets you ratings. It's what keeps the excitement. It's what made the Attitude Era so successful. So what would I have done? Simple. Let Roman win that title. Let Roman be the man for a little while. You want to give it to Seamus? That's fine. Tables, ladders, and chairs. Roman's getting ready for his championship match at the pay-per-view. He's all working himself up. He's getting himself all pumped up and everything else in the back. And the next thing you know, he's getting attacked. He's getting barraged by chairs or steel beams or whatever. Stuff that makes him feel, you know, seems like he's getting so badly beaten that he's incapacitated. He basically has no chance of recovery. And what do we know? Oh, the camera turns. It's Seamus who's doing the attack. Seamus has mauled and defeated and destroyed the champion right there 
in the back where nobody has expected it. They all figured he was just warming up and nobody was going to bother him until he got into the ring. Sheamus has Roman Reigns all beat up. It grabs a referee from the side because he had the referee following around. Gives him the money in the bank briefcase. Tells the referee to make this official. Referee is able to do that somehow. He pins Roman Reigns. One, two, three. Right there in the back. Sheamus on tables, lads, and chairs becomes the champion. And it's before even the match has begun. It's before even the match was near. So that way we have all the people shocked and amazed. And next thing you know, instead of saying it's Roman Reigns versus Squiggly Pants in a TLC match, it's, oh my gosh, can you believe it? It's now going to be Sheamus versus Squiggly Pants. You see the thing there? Yes, it seems like it's still a screw job. Yes, it seems like it's still unfair and it's cruel. And you're going to get fans who are going to be all boo, hiss, hiss. But guess what? There's going to be a shock factor. And they're going to be talking about that moment a lot more, a lot longer, and a lot more in an interesting way than just going, hey, did you see Seamus do the screw job at Survivor Series? Yeah, man, that really ticked me off. I really don't know if I want to even deal with the WWE anymore because it's so predictable. Why do I use those examples? Because I've heard people say it. Think about it, people. Keep them on their toes. Keep them guessing. You got to think like a fan. If I was a fan, what would make me stay interested? What would be the shock factor for me? There you go. Okay, so I've almost gotten done with all my rant and rave. I'm just going to real quickly talk about my notes for Raw because I just want to make sure I get this out of the way too. We had the Dudleys versus Bray and Luke. Yeah, it, it was not too bad of a match, but it's not something that I was really looking forward to because I wanted to know more about the storyline. Luke did win. Dudleys were pretty much sacrificed, especially Devon. Sasha Banks went up against Becky Lynch. Sasha has talent, but it seems like lately she can't win without getting help from her girls. And even then, she has to be a dirty wrestler by pulling on the tights or whatever. And it's funny because when the girls do help her and then she tries to get a pen and it doesn't work, she throws a little tantrum. She's like a female version of Christian. No offense, Christian. You're still my guy. Paige interrupted Michael Cole to claim that Charlotte was the cheater at the pay-per-view, which was interesting because she did show a video footage where Charlotte's body was partly underneath the ropes during the figure eight, which is technically illegal. So they did grant her a rematch. The New Day came out to have some country music jamboree as well as an open title challenge thing. That was... uh, Yeah, we're not going to go there. only thing I can say is that Kofi's hair looked like a unicorn braid type thing and it looked more stupid than Seamus. I like Kofi Kingston but seriously dude, that was dumb. The good part about this though is that the Lucha Dragons responded and so did the Usos. The New Day got pretty much jumped by both teams. They got out of the ring. It was pretty interesting. So I have a feeling we're going to have a probably a TLC type thing or even just a ladder match between the three teams coming at TLC for the belts. I think that'd be kind of cool. Mark Henry went up against Neville. I seriously thought Neville was going to go squish, but guess what? He didn't. He actually won. At the end, though, it looked like Mark Henry was going to confront him, and actually Mark Henry shook his hand and gave him a lot of respect and basically told him that he knows he's going to go far. That's what it's all about right there. The Ascension and Stardust went up against Goldust and Primetime Players. Goldust and Primetime Players win. That was a great match, too. 
Then Zeb did his State of Mexamerica, blah, 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 and ran his mouth, and so did Del Rio. And then the cool part is Jack Swagger came out to shut them up. I'm really liking that they're bringing Jack Swagger back into the mix. Page versus Charlotte, once again for the title. This time it became such a brutal, rough match that it resulted in a double countout, which then led to Page putting Charlotte on top of the commentator's table and delivering the PTO until the referees had to break it up. And we're talking multiple referees. He Slater offered to play a rock and roll melody with his guitar. Ryback came out to interrupt him, and while Ryback was getting psyched up, Heath hit him in the back with the guitar, kind of like um, Jeff Jarrett used to do. And Ryback really didn't see a phase before he delivered a spine buster, meat hook, and then a shell shock. And that was all that was said and done. Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler went up against Kevin Owens and Tyler Breeze. Dean pinned Tyler Breeze after Owen pretty much backed away from the fight. Again, like I said, Owens is a great fighter. He's a great wrestler. He has a lot of great technique and skill when he does use it. It drives me nuts that he does not do that. It, it makes me lose a lot of respect for him, especially after he does something so impressive like he did Saturday, Sunday. Rusev versus Roman Reigns. Sheamus is at ringside for this, and of course he's going to get involved here and there. He gets a few cheap shots or pulling on the legs at Roman. Finally, the referee catches it, evicts Sheamus from the ringside. Roman gets the second win. After all that onslaught, it looks like Roman is going to be able to become the top of this match and get everything taken care of. And King Barrett arrives to attack. Roman does win by disqualification, but then also has a big thing where Barrett's going after him, and so is Rusev. And they bring a chair into the thing. But what happens? Roman gets involved by getting everybody out of the way, grabs the chair, and basically beats the heck out of Rusev's back with the chair before trying to you know make sure he also gets Barrett and Sheamus. And almost does. He almost gets the champion, which would have been nice. And that was pretty much your Monday Night Raw. So what do we learn here in this story? Well, we learned my opinions about Raw. We learned my opinions about Survivor Series for this year. But we also learned about one key thing. Predictability sucks. Keep us on our toes. You listening, WWE? Please say you are. Like I said before, I've written better stuff than that. God knows I would love to give that stuff to you guys and work for you and help you guys get back to where you guys were before when I was growing up and thought you guys were very unpredictable and very wild and tangent. But, eh, whatever. All right. We're done with the rant. This has already gone a little bit longer than I expected to, but that's okay. We're going to finish this up real quick with talking about one of the women in wrestling. So let's get this show on the road. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. This quarter, the Sleeper Hold Podcast is going pink with Susan G. Komen as we join the Rise Above Cancer campaign. Susan G. Komen is the world's largest nonprofit funder of breast cancer research. Breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the world and the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths among women in the United States. There are already more than 3.1 million breast cancer survivors now in the United States, and your contributions will help with the research and work to increase the number of survivors of breast cancer. For more information or to make your donation, Visit thesleeperhold.com and click on the Susan G. Komen link. All right, so we're going to go ahead and talk about one of the women who is still currently in the roster, 
She is a former NXT Women's Champion. She has been a WWE Divas Champion. And she is the only one to hold both titles at the same time. She has a soft spot in my heart, even if right now she does drive me kind of up the wall. And that's only because she's a bit of a gothy girl. We're talking about the one woman from Norwich, England. She is Paige. Just like Natty and just like Charlotte, Paige was born with wrestling in her blood. Her family ran a promotion called World Association of Wrestling, and at age 13, Paige made her debut with that company. She went under the name Brittany Knight, and from there, she also held several championships in various independent circuits at, or in Europe. In 2011, she did sign a contract with the WWE and started wrestling within NXT and getting into the main roster on 2014. But despite all the successes that Paige has had, and despite how wrestling is in her blood, what many people probably don't realize is that this wasn't always her original goal. She really didn't seem fond of wrestling when she was growing up. She saw her family fighting for money, and she saw them getting injured and everything else. She was actually hoping to become a zoologist. It wasn't until about when she was 10 years old or so that she actually started playing around inside the ring. And that was when her father ended up having like a school for people to be trained in. And she would wrestle around with her brothers and they'd teach her a few things here and there. And so she kind of learned the way of the ring through her family. It's said that she arrived into the wrestling business, though, because her father asked her to wrestle when somebody did not show up for a booking and he needed somebody to fill the slot. And from there, as we all can say, the rest is history. In her first officially recorded match, she teamed up with her mom to go into a triple threat tag team match inside again World Association of Wrestling. And unfortunately, her mom and her did lose in that match. She then did go and team up with Melody to form the tag team called the Norfolk Dolls. And they wrestled in multiple English promotions, which is kind of great for somebody that young. She got to do a lot of traveling early and get a lot of experience. By 2007, she actually won the World Association of Women's Wrestling tag team title. But then it became vacant because, well, they never really did any title defenses. Oops. So, I mean, picture this. Age 14 now, you're going all around the European area, even sometimes the United States, to do a lot of different matches, going for different women's championship titles. And even though you do come up short, you're really developing a name for you. Paige really had this going for her, and it was just sheer impressive. And then even better, 2009 was really the best year for Paige's early career. She defeated her mother, Sweet Saraya, sorry about that, in a two out of threes falls match and won the Hearts and Essex Women's Championship. She beat her own mom. This is the same woman who was pregnant with Paige and didn't even know until approximately about six or seven months into the pregnancy and she was still wrestling. That's one tough woman. She then turned around, beat her mom again to capture the WAWW British title. That's, again, just mind-blowing how well she has been doing in 2009. Let's not forget that she also captured the Real Deal Wrestling Women's title, 
during an elimination match. The RQW Women's Championship, by defeating Jetta in a champion versus champion match, putting her HEW Women's title on the line. And on top of it all off, the nice little cherry on top of this beautiful Sunday of title wins, her mother and her teamed up and won the PWF Ladies Tag Team Championship in May of 2010. What a great winning streak there. You know, I can go on and on about a lot of the great accomplishments Paige had over in England, but I want to kind of talk about stuff that happened here in the States, because this is what really helped, in my opinion, get her to excel after the research I've seen. See, Paige came over, still under the name Brittany Knight, to America for an all-female promotion called Shimmer Women Athletes on March 26 of 2011. And here's the cool part. Shimmer Women Athletes is right here in Illinois in the city of Berwyn. So guess where I'm going to be checking out sometime soon? It's still on my to-do list. Plus, of course, you know, women wrestlers. That means that I get a lot of great people to talk to about doing what most people always think can't be done, which is showing off that women can kick as much butt as guys in the squared circle. Anyway, so we have Brittany Knight here, which remember, this is Paige, but under her previous name she's teamed up with her mother and they create a team called the Knight Dynasty they are going off against Nikki Rocks and Ariel in a match where they actually end up winning the match via disqualification because Nikki Rocks and Ariel end up using the Knight Dynasty's brass knuckles against them and this end up giving the Knight Dynasties a chance to receive and win the Shimmer Tag Team Championship against the Seven Star Sisters However, they fall just short. In October of 2011, they lose another chance against the Shimmer Tag Team Champions, which is this time Akayo Hamada and Ayumi Kirihara. And Soraya ends up not helping Brittany during the match and then scolding her for it because she's just disgusted. So Brittany Knight then, later on, loses a match to Jesse McKay, which this becomes like her third consecutive loss or something. And Soraya ends up getting so mad, slapping Brittany around, and in the story, mind you, disowning Brittany. The two ended up in a huge, like, knockdown, dragout brawl that the whole thing had to be pulled apart, which is pretty awesome. It's Paige for you, if you know Paige. So Brittany Knight then challenges Sarai to a match, and she defeats her in a no-disqualification match, and this is her final Shimmer match at the Shimmer Women Athletes. So again, a lot of great stuff that happened here in Illinois. Of course, I didn't really know about that stuff back in 2011 too much. I knew there's some things, but I didn't know exactly where. But if I could turn back the clock and check that out, you better believe I would, but... Hey, no time like the present, so I'm definitely going to check out those ladies and cheer them on because that's just awesome. Now, in England, Paige found out that there was a talent scout for the WWE who let her know that there'd be tryouts. In November 2010, she wasn't successful, but she did not let that falter her ambitions, and she tried again in April 2011 and was successful. She started out in what was back then their developmental territory called the Florida Championship Wrestling, or FCW. And that's actually where she ended up getting her name, Paige. She made her appearance on TV 
on February 26th and March of 2012, she formed an alliance with Sofia Cortez, which then they called themselves the Anti-Diva Army. Now, this team kind of had a few different things going on back then, and they had a few matches that were not always successful. There were some good ones, and it did have even a time when they had Rick Victor there to help them have a mixed tag team formation. And Paige did end up trying to go after the FCW Divas champion, Raquel Diaz, and that didn't quite work because of being disqualified. And eventually, the Anti-Diva Army did disband. Now, this is all little bit of tidbits here and there, but the really neat thing is when WWE rebranded the Florida Championship Wrestling to NXT in 2012, Paige was still there. So she was ready to go and do all that Paige is known to do. And with the crowd behind her, Paige went on a huge winning streak at NXT, defeating people like Audrey Marie, Sasha Banks, Emma, Oksana, and Alicia Fox on multiple occasions. Paige was on a hot streak until, well, January 30th of 2013, when former ring announcer Summer Rae turned around and jumped Paige because she was jealous of the popularity and success. Paige suffered a shoulder injury after brawling with Rae, and later on, Summer Rae exploited that to actually put an end to Paige's undefeated streak. And, of course, that feud carried on for a little while. And even when Summer Rae tried to do a preemptive attack on May 1st, she actually lost to Paige, and that kind of simmered things down. I think it kind of humbled Summer Rae a little bit. Now, in June of 2013, Paige entered a tournament to decide who was going to be the first NXT Women's Champion. She went through Tamina Snuka and Alicia Fox all the way to get to the final where she defeated Emma to become the first inaugural champion. Here's the cool part about that, though. Paige held on to that title all the way up to her moving to the main roster of the WWE, which had a huge surprise moment. On the night after WrestleMania 30, Paige came out unannounced to congratulate the WWE's Divas Champion AJ Lee on her successful title defense. Whereas AJ Lee didn't take her serious and thought that she was going to be up to no good and trying to be sneaky. So AJ slapped Paige and challenged her to an impromptu match for the championship, being very confident that she would be able to take down this young diva. At age 21, Paige became the first diva to win the WWE Divas Championship during her debut match. She was the youngest WWE Divas Champion in history and the only woman to hold both the WWE Divas and the NXT Women's Championship. And just like back at NXT, Paige was on fire with a great hot streak as she had her first successful title defense on April 28th against Brie Bella on an impromptu match that ended up with no contest due to Kane attacking Brie. Then we also had her first successful title defense where she went against Tamina Snuka at Extreme Rules, the girl was on fire. From there, though, Paige did lose a few matches here and there. They're all non-title. I mean, she lost against Alicia Fox at one time, which was her first defeat in the WWE main roster. And that made her have a 
title defense at Payback, where she did win. She also had a feud with Cameron, where she, you know, had a few non-title matches. Then Naomi came in and defeated Paige, and that had a Money in the Bank match where Paige won. So, I mean, Paige did have her back and forth, but she still held strong as a very powerful champion during this time. Now, what many people didn't like about this and what many people criticized the WWE for is they felt that they were still making Paige seem too vulnerable of a champion and too weak as a persona, even though she has proved herself pretty powerfully in the storyline. So they were worried about character development on this. And looking back, I can kind of see where they were coming from. But I think that Paige was also creating her own character and finding her own niche. So can't really put it all too much on the WWE. It takes a lot to find your just right spot when it comes to different performances. Now, after defeating Naomi at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, Paige had a surprise when AJ Lee quickly returned to defeat Paige in a title match and regained the Davis Championship, which, you know, Paige was actually reluctant to face AJ at first, but agreed after the audience really kind of chanted it on to have it happen. And despite the championship being lost, she acted as if she was still besties with AJ during the whole tag matches when they were teaming together. At Battleground, the besties, or frenemies as they used to call themselves, went up against each other again, and AJ retained her title against Paige, and everything seemed fine until we had the following Monday Night Raw from Battleground, where Paige and AJ won a tag team match against Natalia and Emma, and Paige quickly turned on AJ Lee and assaulted her. On August 17th, which was actually Paige's 22nd birthday, we had the pay-per-view SummerSlam where Paige actually did win and capture her second Divas Championship. And then at Night of Championships, Paige lost the title back to AJ Lee in a triple threat match that also involved Nikki Bella. From there, Paige kind of jumped around with her alliances and frenemies or whatever you want to call it. And she teamed up with Alicia Fox for a while, but then that quickly dissipated after Alicia Fox didn't help her gain a victory and a chance for the match with AJ Lee for the title. And then there was the Survivor Series match on a four-on-four elimination tag team match, pretty much like a smaller Survivor Series match, where the last person to survive on her team was actually Paige, and she was eliminated by Naomi. It seemed that after that, though, Paige did become more of a face again after the title changed hands over to Nikki Bella. And during a episode of Raw, um, January 5th, 2015, Nikki Bella was assaulting Natalia, and Paige came to the rescue to save Natalia. And this actually led to not only a non-title match between the two... Um, it also led to Paige and Natalia being tag teams against the Bella Twins at the Royal Rumble, which unfortunately the Bella Twins won. Well, I'm not going to get into my opinion about the Bella Twins here. This is all about Paige. Paige did challenge Nikki for the championship again at Fastlane. Unfortunately, she didn't win it, though. But the real big important part here is the Monday after. See, at Monday Night Raw... After Paige's match, she was attacked by the Bellas, and lo and behold, who would come that would surprise everybody but AJ Lee to save the day. This led to a huge tag team match at WrestleMania 31 between Paige and AJ against the Bella Twins. Paige and AJ actually won it, and this is actually Paige's WrestleMania debut. 
Then we had on April 13th, Paige was back in her hometown area in England, and there was a battle royal to decide who was going to be the number one contender for Nikki's championship. And, well, Paige won it. When Naomi didn't feel this was justifiable because Naomi should have been the number one contender in her eyes. And so as Paige was celebrating, she attacked Paige and injured her by throwing her against the guardrail, making it where Paige was no longer able to compete due to injury. So Naomi became the number one contender for a while there. So after a month of being out, Paige returns to save surprisingly enough, Nikki Bella from being attacked by Naomi and Tamina. And so Naomi and Tamina powder out of the way and everything else. And next thing you know, Paige is actually attacking Nikki herself. Well, of course, Paige wants the title more than anything, but she does want revenge. And this actually prompted for a triple threat match between Paige, Naomi, and Nikki at the Elimination Chamber. Well, Naomi still won that one. And... In June, Paige went on to challenge Nikki for the championship in two single matches on Raw and Money of the Bank. And, of course, Nikki and Bree did the twin magic thing to mess everything up and ruin the chances for Paige. And let's see here. She also had a match with the uh, Beast in the East. If anybody ever saw that, it was on the WWE Network. It was pretty cool. She had a match against Nikki and Tamina, and unfortunately she didn't win that one either. Which all of this brings us to right now with the Divas Revolution. July 13th is when we had the Divas Revolution begin, thanks to Stephanie McMahon declaring it and putting Charlotte and Becky Lynch to ally with Paige creating Team PCB, while Sasha Banks joined with Naomi and Tamina. This was an awesome thing because then you had a pretty much kind of like a brawl almost where many of the times it was a three-on-three match or two-on-two with the other ones being at the sideline. But you really got to see the women stand out and really show what they're capable of. Honestly, I liked the original name for Paige, Charlotte, and Becky's uh, little faction there called the Sorority, a submission sorority actually. That actually had a better ring to it, in my opinion. I don't know why they changed it, but it stuck as Team PCB. And ultimately, at SummerSlam, there was a three-team elimination match between all three factions, the Bellas and Alicia Fox and Team Bad with Naomi, Tamina, and Sasha Banks, and Team PCB. And guess what? Team PCB won. Why? Because they are awesome. But what's one thing that could set a team apart and cause a fi- fraction and a f- everything else to happen bad? Well, you want to make a fracture, you basically put the belt out there for them to all scrounge for. You got hungry divas wanting to have that belt around their waist, and none of them probably were more hungry than Paige. She showed that she felt that she should still be the champion time and time again. So what was the issue that caused all this? The first ever Divas Beat the Clock Challenge, and it was exclusively for all the members of Team PCB since they won that SummerSlam Challenge. They had Paige go against Sasha Banks, and of course Paige should have probably won that, except for the fact that Team Bad helped her make sure that Paige did not surpass the time. 
Instead, it was Charlotte who ended up succeeding and going for the title. Now, at Night of Champions, Nikki did lose the title to Charlotte, which caused a huge happiness between Team PCB and Ric Flair until Monday Night Raw. Then Paige kind of turned her back on her partners and did a very quick promo that seemed to be very compassionate about how she claimed that Charlotte was only there because of her father and she also kind of knocked down all of the members of the Divas Revolution including Becky and Natalia and really showed that she kind of made another big heel turn because she kind of just became hungry for the belt and didn't care what it took and who she was going to hurt along the way. Now, Paige had more rivalry and clashes with Natalia for a little while there, while also trying to seem like she was trying to become more in line with Team PCB and become friends again. And it seemed like she was really on the fence. Nobody really knew if they could believe anything with Paige at the moment until she did make herself a huge heel turn by turning on them once again and attacking them. And by November, she became the number one contender for Charlotte's championship after winning a fatal four-way match. After this, she continued to provoke Charlotte, and you have, you know, what we just saw with Survivor Series, where Paige did not win the title, but did show us a discrepancy where Charlotte was partly under the ring, and that should not have counted towards it. It should have had the submission hold broken. And she actually had a rematch on yesterday's Raw. So, there you go, guys. Paige actually had a chance. Unfortunately, she didn't get on Raw. But I don't think this is the last we hear of all of this. And I definitely think that this is going to be one of those divas that... It's hard to call her diva because she's so much is an anti-diva in so many ways but she has became more of a diva lately but she's going to be one of those that like Trish Stratus like Lita like many other greats she's there and she's there to stay and she's going to leave a mark in this business for quite a long time do not be surprised if down the road that people are still talking about her while she is in the Hall of Fame Alright boys and girls, that's going to wrap it up for this week. You got to listen to me rant and rave and also talk about Paige, who is, again, she's one of my favorites still, even though she does drive me off the wall with her being a bit more of a heel and acting more diva than she used to. But hey, I still gotta love her. Like CM Punk once said, I dig the crazy chicks. Just saying. Anyway, you all take it easy. I will see you next Tuesday. Eat some turkey. Eat some stuffing, have a great Thanksgiving, and definitely make sure that you don't have too much of a food coma, and be careful and be safe when it comes to Black Friday. There's a lot of crazy people out there. All right, take care, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com, comment on episodes, read our blog, find information about our quarterly charity, and more. See you next week.